hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Ophelia Talks. I know what you might be thinking, hey, this isn't my good friend Zach Rich's voice, and to that I say, you are correct. Hello, my name is Kevin Ryder, and I will be co-hosting today with the lovely Billy Aiken Tires. Hello everybody, uh, I'm sure you've heard enough of me already, but why not bring me back? I'm exactly. So today we have a little bit of a, a change not only in the hosting, but also in our guests. Today we have a crew of people for the show. Uh, that are all coming from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and that are all a part of our production of Your Alice. So I'm going to go ahead and bop around the room and let everyone introduce themselves really fast and go ahead and say your name and uh, what you will be playing in Your Alice. And I'll start at this side. My name is Olivier Sublet, and I will be playing the part of the male swing. My name is Tom Chandler, and I'll be playing Tweedledee. My name is Jane Logan, and I'm the female swing. My name is Luke Anthony Neville, and I'll be playing the part of Charles Dodgson. Wait. My name is Jim Lawrenson, and I think there's been some sort of mistake. Uh, <laughs> I will be playing the White Rabbit. Which is not a mistake. <laughs> so now we're all met. I'm going to go and hand on over to Billy here, and she's going to start us off. Well, I thought you were going to start off, but all right. So I guess this is a little bit of a start. So I guess we're taking we'll a edit break. This all we're out. taking a bit of a take from. Uh, we're taking. A, Words. We're taking a break from uh, Lysistrata Jones. We've been, all of our episodes thus far have been about our current production of Lysistrata and uh, actually two people in this room are in that show, Kevin yeah, Ryder yeah. and uh, Olivier. Boy Club with the cake. hate Boy Club. I just want you to know that I hate that you've taken this like amazing feminist play and turned it into Boy Club. It's <laughs> That's the name of our boy band, Boy Club with a K. Uh, but you guys are doing amazing work. Olivier's got himself pretty much lined up until September, which is pretty cool. Um, Kev, I'm going to let you ask the first round of questions. All right, sure, sure, we'll bounce back to me. All right, so this is the uh, second iteration of uh, the production of Your Alice, written by Billy. And so I want to know first kind of what your introduction to the script was, be it in the callbacks or where you had heard about it before. Just uh, that, that is a launching off point. Uh, and anyone who wants to chime in, feel free. Let's go to you first, Luke. Oh, um, I had heard of Your Alice because... Of, well, well, Billy. <laughs> and I was also in a play uh, with Michael Bradshaw Flynn, who, did he co-direct? He co-directed yeah. it, yeah. The first production. So I knew that it was uh, going on. And then my first time reading the play was when you came to the school and did the workshop with us um, and auditioned us for the for the show. But I loved it. I like fell in love with the script. Um, and that was the first time I'd sort of read it and it really hit me and loved it. Could you go into a little bit your experience with that workshop and with the, the callbacks at Ada? Yeah, so we started out and Billy did a uh, movement workshop, a really ensemble-based movement workshop with um, like the company and some of the original cast members came. Um, and we had like a really great first session, didn't we, of like just working through um, some of your warm-up techniques and some of your like ensemble bonding techniques and the we also games, the games and everything. Ah, the games really ah, the ga games well i didn't realize that you didn't think that it was an audition <laughs> oh yeah uh i didn't know that i it was a real audition i thought <laughs> because the way that things work is we're always sort of being put in these uh faux auditions these like mock auditions to prepare us for the outside world and this is at the academy yeah, at, the yeah. Acad yeah. at the academy mm -hmm. they put you in these mock auditions to prepare you for the industry and all that and uh, and Billy is, is so helpful with the company and so interactive with us. I was like, wow, this is like a really great opportunity to, 
to showcase ourselves in an audition, and and I I, I tried to keep the stakes as high as possible, <laughs> and just like enjoy myself and have fun in the audition. And then Billy emailed me and was like, "We'd like you to come back and read again." And I was like, "This is a long class." <laughs> and he's still in the club. I hope I don't have to pay for it. Well, because like, initially the the idea kind of came about when we knew that we were going to be recasting a bunch of roles. Um, I spoke to Susan and I was like, "Look, this is happening." I'd love to audition the company. They get a chance to do a sa- an audition in a safe environment with somebody that they know. And it's a little bit different to what a normal audition experience is like. So let's see what happens. And then I'll audition alum and I'll audition people I knew. Because we knew with the show going to Edinburgh that we wanted to cast people who could live with each other and that could be a part of the ensemble. So I kind of wanted to keep it keep it in keep it in the family very important for living with people for a month if they <laughs> very, get along very important. yes um and i was like okay maybe we'll get our swings out of them and then we'll cast outside for the rest and like little did i know that this was gonna fucking happen Turned <laughs> well, up. they all like blew it out the water and i was like well okay proof is in the pudding mm-hmm. i guess they're cast yeah i got five smart. in the room right here that's great does yeah. anyone else want to chime in with their experience mm. with the uh, auditioning process yeah, I did know that it was an audition. <laughs> oh, congrats. Um, big deal. Oh, big deal. <laughs> so what? I know. Um, but I think that's, it was, it turned out very quickly. Then that was kind of my first experience with it as well, with the show and, and reading the material and becoming immediately attached to it and just knowing Billy already and how kind and open she is and how wonderful it's not often that an opportunity like that comes along where you can have that workshop experience and be with those people in the room and realize that this is a work opportunity that's very different um so then the stakes are immediately raised for me and wanting to spend this time with everyone and be part of this production uh that was really important to me and i feel very fortunate now to now be a part of it mm-hmm. um, yeah congratulations to everyone in the room obviously for getting into the show thanks Kat. it's an accomplishment <laughs> yeah that's pretty Thank cool Tom uh, my initial thoughts when first reading the script was I was actually quite astonished because I didn't actually realize that Billy Aiken Tyres um, was capable of writing <laughs> um, <laughs> jerk. That's so rude. She's your boss. Well, fired. 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 Uh, I was actually fired free. immediately after being fired. Um, Honestly, uh, it's a surprise to most. I'm literate. So. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in all seriousness, the uh, the actual audition itself was uh, was a wonderful experience, and it really was just uh, it was play and it was fun. And as Jim said, we went through a lot of uh, sort of the warm ups that Billy likes to do and. Uh, don't paraphrase no, don't each other quote me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I totally um, understand that though cuz yeah. uh, in working with Billy the the play of the work and especially in the the warm ups and the cast bonding is such a huge aspect of it um, and in, mm-hmm. with with Alice in the ensemble nature of the show that play is so important so it's it's kind of cool that you guys got that from the get go with it like that was kind of your first yeah. introduction to the piece was along with those games and such yeah. immediately it i got the vibe that this was a show that was about the ensemble, that that's where the heart of the show lived, that this was a world where there's a group of people and they're all relying on each other to not let the other ones fall. And that was like a huge part of the audition process was like, who okay, who's making eye contact with me and who's like just sort of letting me be my weirdest self? Because that's really most of what the audition was, was absolutely letting you be your weirdest self, mm-hmm. your most childish self, mm-hmm. and feeling like, 
no one was judging you. And that's exactly what I feel like uh, the heart of the show really is. And that trust is so important yeah. with your fellow actors. Of course. Yeah. And, the best, and one of the greatest parts was that after we'd done that movement workshop, Billy was like, just take 10 minutes and then we'll do like the sides that I've sent you guys. But she was like, don't get, like, don't get, you like, don't get changed. Like, just live in what we've just worked on for the past hour and a half. And that was the best thing because then you really are your authentic self going into an audition that's like, some like is professional so mm-hmm. you know it was a good starting point for that and that's why i think we all kind of felt it was our first experience doing that i don't know if anyone else has had that experience in an audition before but it was like it was so rewarding to be able to do that you know because it's so rare and that's why i think you know we have these five like the five of us here it's, it was so it was such a great environment to start off in you know yeah it's it was great. it was really interesting just to see i kind of talked about it with uh, in the podcast last week but um for me casting's really important uh, you have to create a safe environment and a, an environment where people feel like that they can play and create. And a lot of that has to do with seeing people. And I think it's always helpful when you know people. I think there are, everybody did wonderful auditions, but it's really important to see people. And everybody in this room really let me see them, which was really nice. And not necessarily in the audition. Like I think in general, I can pinpoint a moment where I actually saw each of the people in this room. And that's so important because that's like base level, how you make someone be just who they are in their most vulnerable state in all of their ugly colors that is where you begin from and that's mm-hmm. why casting so important and there is a method to the madness because now i'm starting to see through the shows i'm directing like oh if you actually just put really good people in a room who are willing to be open and, and receptive to what you're giving them, everything else will figure everything itself else out. Will figure itself out absolutely it's always a happy room i think you've been in two shows now and like mm-hmm. this is alice was a happy room so like all of those rooms have been really happy. Oh, yeah. No drama, no bullshit. It's mm-hmm. just good people. Oh, we can work. curse on this? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Let's not know. go overboard, <laughs> but if some fall in there, like, it'll be okay. Like, let's not drop a C-bomb, but, like, yeah. crack on. Olivier. Yeah, do you want to add something, Olivier? Add something to... I mean... You've been in both rooms. I mean, yeah, you've been in... It was... I mean, I as well knew that we were we were being auditioned, but it didn't feel that way because I mean, I'm very attacked. I knew you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew you anyway. We you'd been in the whole in the room with us for for so long, and so it was it wasn't like the pressure was alleviated from the start. And then when we walked in and just making like, I remember the first time I made eye contact with um, the Mad Hatter. Mike. 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 He's yes, literally showing you right now. Mad Mike. That's my man. <laughs> it was just there was such we got really really close, and there was just. It just oozed trust, like trust me right now, and then we got into all these weird, these weird like sort of, mm-hmm. sort of personal games, and it was really cool. It was just the most I'd never experienced something like that before an audition myself. Well, so much <laughs> of that movement is about like making people break down their inhibitions and, and get to who they are, and I, I mean Jane, it was yours from the fluff exercise that we did. Mm-hmm. It was just I remember like seeing that and being like, okay, it's Jane, it's her, I just knew. And then from there, all of the crazy character stuff that can happen is great. But like, if you can baseline just be open, mm-hmm. then I'm immediately like, I'm in. I'm 100% invested. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, the fluff exercise is, is great. My first experience <laughs> with a fluff exercise. Uh, for those of you that have listened to the previous episodes, uh, I'm the person when they talk about the bear during the play festival. <laughs> that was me. Um, and our fluff for that was such a fun experience getting to do that bonding. Uh, but for me, I was doing it as a bear. Uh, and that was just such a memorable and fun experience mm-hmm. in terms of like sharing that moment with someone, you know, because the. I love watching people do that exercise for the first time. Like watching Sean and Aida do that the other day in Lysistrata rehearsals was like my highlight mm-hmm. of the run so far. It, it's such an interesting sharing exercise. Mm-hmm. Where are you all originally from? Let's talk about 
because so much about this podcast is about getting to know the people that are involved in all of our affiliate shows. So let's go around and see where you're from. And how did you get your, find yourself at the Academy? everyone's staring at me so uh i am from wilmington massachusetts it's like a half hour north of boston um it's my it's my bread and butter i love that place more than anything um and i found myself at the academy one day i drunkenly woke up in tom chandler's room on the ninth floor of the academy and you were like roofies yeah Why does no. everyone say that's the first time they remember that? <laughs> I don't know. You should talk to your therapist about it. Get off the um, phone. What's wrong with you? Yeah, we're trying to, I'm trying to talk. Can you pay Tom attention to me, please? I listen to every word you say. Tom's on Grinder <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, uh, I, I've always wanted to be an actor. Uh, my mom wanted, asked me what I wanted to do from the minute I was born. Uh, and then, until I could speak, I didn't know what to say. Uh, so uh, when I finally decided I wanted to be an actor, I then decided where I wanted to be, which was New York City. And so it came down to like a couple of schools and eventually I decided that I wanted to go to the academy because it's a conservatory. And so with that, you get a lot more focus and a lot more like uh, personal... Specificity exactly, in, you in get like the a, theater. A, per, yeah. a personal relationship with your professors. Whereas like, I feel like if I went to a larger school, I, I, I would feel a little bit like I wasn't getting the, att- the attention that I've always craved. Um, <laughs> But at the, <laughs> at the academy, I, I felt like it's a small community. Everybody knows each other. It has its pros and its cons. But the biggest pro is definitely that you've got to fall back. You've got people who love you. You've got people who support you and who know you and who have seen you work for the last three years. These, like, everybody in this room right now, I've only known for, like, a short amount of time. Thank God. And Thank God. But it will be it's surprising how much people come back to you. Like you will find yourselves working with these people. I feel like I've known them my whole life. Like I feel like I've known Luke and Jane and Tom and Olivier like most of my life. Like they've been my (laughs) they've been my best friends for like Mm. the last year and the last year feels like it's it's been forever. Not only am I like am I glad that I decided to be an actor, I'm glad that I went to the academy and that I met the people that I did. I'm very thankful for everything Mm -hmm. that I've fallen into by accident. Luke, where are you from and how did you hear about the Academy? <laughs> LOL. We well, all know this story. Uh, I am from <laughs> County Durham, England, which is actually 30 minutes from where Billy Aiken is. I think you'll is. find it's a, a keen 22 if you go along the back road. I mean, Whoa. I like to adhere to uh, speed regulations in England, so uh, I get there in a good 30 minutes. Um, but I uh, grew up near Billy and we were sort of on the same community theatre circuit I guess we were, uh, actually, like, we were part theater. of the rival you were Gala Theatre which as far as I'm concerned is like the cool kids you guys were the cool kids we were like don't even try we were the cool kids um, and no you were Gala Theatre is like I think I first met you like 2009 I want to say and then I remember hearing about the Academy because you came to see Miss Saigon. Miss Saigon. In 2011. Yeah. And you had been at the Academy for a year, I think. We went think, to Nando's. And we went to Nando's. And I remember Billy was like, I think you'd really suit the school that I'm currently at. And then cut to 2014. I'd just been to New York and I like sort of visited um, the city for the second time. Did I come to you sing then? You sang at Birdland, right? That was when I. That was when I'd moved here. But like no, the first time when you came with Newcastle College. Did you come to the? Yes, I you did. That. Yes, I came you to did. Watch you sing. So yeah, then I saw you. In, yeah, that's right. So I saw you in 2014 when we visited with my old, uh, with my other university, and then I don't know. I just got a feeling that I was supposed to be in New York, and got back home, got straight back on the computer, and applied. 
And uh, yeah, here we, here are. we are, 2018. <laughs> Ta da! Yeah. I'll tell you what, that was a twist, I've got to say, because, I mean, obviously Luke is ridiculously talented, like it's com- completely acknowledged. But I guess okay. I just didn't need, I didn't. Luke is, yeah. In my brain, I, I don't know what I was looking for. And I think a big thing about like recasting the Charles role particular, in particular is it's such a hard role. And I just didn't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I knew that like I had to be completely different from what was done before. So I was like, I don't know what I'm expecting. And everybody who came in did an amazing audition. But Luke came in and was so amazing. And I was kind of like, I need to see it again. And everyone was like, are you insane? He's obviously dropped. Like, you're an idiot. And I was like, no, nah, I need to see it again. Brought him back in and everyone was like, you have to cast him right now. What are you doing? And I think I was just like stuck on like what I thought I wanted. And a big thing that I learned about that was that I wasn't just casting a Charles. I was casting Eliza's Charles. Well, we did three rounds, didn't we? We did in three the rounds, end. and in the end, we did a final round. We did a, a private workshop with me and Eliza and three other guys. And Luke and Eliza had, like, an hour together. And it was just like, you can't... They just have amazing chemistry. And it, you just can't deny it. And at the end of it, I was like, if you had to say, who's your Charles? And she was like, it's Luke. It's mm-hmm. hands down Luke. But I, it was so funny because we'd done... We, you made me cry. We'd, yeah, we'd worked on this scene for maybe 45 minutes. And then the last time we did it, we were kind of off book by that point. And then I like turned and looked at Billy and she it was like the end of the session. I looked at her to kind of be like, oh, are you going to let me go? And she was like, okay, if you just want to like leave. And I was like, okay, bye, bye Bill, thank you. Like I left and I was like, not sure if that's a good sign. Like you literally made her blubber. But yeah, it was, it was so much fun. It yeah. is so serendipitous how these different people from different aspects of life come together well, in, yeah. in these projects. Uh, that reminds me too, when we were talking about uh, Lauren McCraw as Hatira in yeah. Estrada, where you didn't know exactly what you wanted, but then once it snapped, it was like, oh, of course that is what I wanted. Well, I mean, I, we literally auditioned a bunch of people and the music director would constantly be like, what are you looking for in this role? And I was like, well, I want this and that. Kind of talking around it and roughly describing Lauren and realizing that I was just too afraid to ask her to do a musical. And then once I saw her do it, I was like, that's what it is. That's mm-hmm. what I was looking that for. That aha moment. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, I definitely had that with her. Uh, Luke's Great. just gonna gone. get his food. <laughs> yeah. My seamless game. My seamless game. Um, <laughs> Well, while he's grabbing his food, though, we can go ahead and jump down, down the line to Jane. Oh. <laughs> and now Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that is all from Jane today. You should know. Let me just paint a picture of the gentleman who's sitting next to me. Right now. <laughs> if you can imagine it, the guy sitting next to me right now, I don't know if you've seen it, but the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> Um, he looks like Ron Weasley in his dress robes. He's dressed up specifically for this podcast. And this is Tom, by the way. This is Tom, by the way. This is Tom Chandler. He's he's playing Tweedledum ass, and he's sitting right next to me right now. It's very exciting. Someone's got to bring the class. Oh, Tom. My name is Jane Logan. I'm originally from Branford, Connecticut. I found the academy is just I was auditioning for colleges and I'd gone to a summer class there before and what was the summer class the summer class was auditioning for camera okay cool auditioning for camera and now you're acting and now stage. I'm acting on stage <laughs> and in a microphone and in a microphone now you um, deferred right that is my one interesting thing yes I did <laughs> So I actually didn't have my first year with the people sitting around me. I had my first year with, um, obviously, the year before. Actually, Eliza, who's playing Alice, I was in her year originally. She was a winter student, but I actually know her better now than I did then. And I deferred, this is going to sound strange, but it was something 
something was just telling me that this was not the right group of people for me to know for two years then, if that makes any sense. There was something that just didn't click, something that wasn't quite right, and um, I left with uh, people. We all sort of made a consecutive, we made an agreement. Um, and I left and I did some wonderful things. I did improvis- uh, improvisational theater with the Upright Citizens Brigade. Oh, great. I did, I worked with the Bauer Group um, and a bunch of wonderful things. But eventually I was able to defer and I got a call and said, would you consider coming back again for your second year? And I was a little bit hesitant, but I came in for a meeting and, and I just, my one question was, what's the group of people like? And um, very earnestly, the answer was just, they're wonderful. It's a really good group of people. And I, without knowing them, just trusted it. And it's turned out to be genuinely one of the two of the best years of my life. Apart from, you know, getting to know Jim really well. Um, (laughs) Everything besides that has been really nice. Because you saw the, I think Um, you saw the performance of Robin Hood, right? I did. I saw Billy. So actually my first introduction to Billy was when Bianca kind of went down. Exactly. (laughs) was exactly right. And I was in, I was in that performance with my mother who'd never come to see (laughs) my mother from Connecticut, um, who'd never seen a performance at the Academy before. And we went to see Hood together and she was just, and I was as well, but she was particularly adamant about how incredible Billy was to just step in at the last moment oh well, good times. and kill this role. And she absolutely did. There's no way you would have looked at the program and said, you know, this person hasn't been through the entire process. Um, she was so phenomenal, so fabulous. Because I never realised, because your mum talked to me, the first time I met your mum, well, the first time oh, I properly met your mum, yeah. she like, spoke to me like, we know each other forever, and I was like, I'm so confused. She did the same thing with Tom, too, actually. She just, that's my mother. Who doesn't, <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone listening to this podcast doesn't know my mother. She's that's the greatest human in the world. You'll know her soon. She'll hug you without introducing herself. Um, <laughs> she's that woman. <laughs> she's that, that woman. I'm Melissa, love you. I love you, mom. We do love um, you. Shout You're out. Fabulous. Um... <laughs> Tom, so you didn't get into anywhere, and they just yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. but Tom showed up to, to the school? all his auditions in this I outfit. Actually, I'm not actually Tom, actually Tom has traveled a... here from the year 1922. <laughs> 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 we don't know where he keeps his time machine. It is the best kept secret in New York City. He opened the. He built the academy with his bare hands. <laughs> yeah, and now he wore this same outfit to the opening <laughs> gala of the academy. Is the academy. <laughs> He's so old. Yeah. I'm, um... <laughs> Why are you crying? I was actually, uh... <laughs> yeah, I was actually good friends with F. F. Scott Fitzgerald when he was first being built, and mm-hmm. I've been there ever since. Um... <laughs> <laughs> crickets. Insert cricket noise. Um, yeah. So I'm from a lovely seaside town called Penarth in South Wales. I auditioned around uh, London and, and Wales for a bit and then uh, didn't get in anywhere. So then I was either going to... Um, <laughs> I'm basically... <laughs> I'm terrible. He's basically no. a talentless <laughs> twat. No, so I, I had... Talentless <laughs> I, had uh, I had two options. I was either going to uh, go to work with a, a theatre company a, a friend of mine had or I wanted to, you know, go somewhere else. And I decided that after careful deliberation and some... Good advice from a couple of teachers um, and a loving family. Decided to that I needed to move away, do something new, get the hell out of there. Um, so I auditioned for the academy in London. Uh, then got in, uh, spoke to a friend of mine who just happened to have a cousin living in New York at the time. Uh, came over with a suitcase and a phone number. 
and turned up on their doorstep and said, do you mind if I stay with you for a night before I move into my apartment and move into the academy? So I actually only knew one person in America by phone number, not by name. However, I knew Olivier before coming because <laughs> my, my A-level drama examiner put me in contact with this random chap that he met in Geneva. I never knew this. Are you joking? Why am I just hearing about this? Of course, you two have mutual friends. And he just said, "Yeah, I know this. I know this Swiss geezer. Here's his, here's his Facebook." And he put us in contact. And I texted Olivier on Facebook, saying, "Uh, "Hi, do you know Mr. Tunley?" And then he said, "Yo, Wagwan Famalam." Just finished tagging up this wall in Geneva. Been chill with my homies, and then I'll get back to you. <laughs> Almost word for word. Yes, Mr. Tunley directed me in um, a production of Oliver Twist yes. in Switzerland. Um, I was playing Mr. Brownlow, um, which was not, not in my cast. I was going to say, absolutely not. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. So wow, my, my introduction to the Academy actually happened through just research. I was looking at a couple of schools in London. I originally wanted to go to London, but... For some reason, I also auditioned to this single school in America, which happened to be the Academy. And while I was prepping for the auditions, um, one of the acting teachers at the school that I was attending, the youth theater group that I was attending, um, was an Academy graduate from 2006, Selena Beretta. And so she, she asked me where I was auditioning and helped me out. And when I told her the Academy, she was like, well, that's where you're going. There's no, there's no other option. And so that's basically what I prepped for. I did the other auditions. Didn't get in, <laughs> and uh, yeah, just made my way here. Here I am. Well, I think I think like to a certain extent, like you, you just you end up where you're meant to be. Oh, I think totally. that you're, I think people are. Circle. I think people in New Yorkers are their Londoners. Yeah, and it's interesting that like all of the people in this room are here. Particularly, I mean, for you as well, like Luke. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to go to so, London. Mm-hmm. I think, and like for you, there's. I don't. I have never li- like loved London. Like I would. I've lived there and. Would go back if I had a job to go to, but I would never like want to just get up and go. They never, not, none of the drama schools I applied for ever felt right. Yeah. I it's actually was really, really intimidated by coming to America and New York and like just walking through the streets. The couple times I'd been in in my past, I was just like, no, this is not the place for me. It's too busy. There's too much going on. I'm from Geneva and Switzerland, so it's kind of a small, smaller environment. And so I like London because I have a lot of friends from London. Mm-hmm. But when I got here, my first year was just like this mesmerizing trip through Wonderland and uh, good times. Good times. Good times. Yeah. That's a plan. That's a bingo. What's your favorite thing about New York? My favorite thing about New York? It's So I always describe it as when you walk out your front door, you're just kind of swept with the energy and you just end up doing something. Whereas where mm-hmm. I'm from, you, you go out, you lock the front door, turn around, and the first thing you do is, all right, what am I doing? Where, where am I going to go? And you don't really, it sort mm-hmm. of like takes a little while and everyone's a little lazier here. There's just this like go, 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 go attitude go. and everyone is just down for it all the time. And the thing I particularly like about theater in America as opposed to my exposure to British theater is that everyone is just so like, ah, come on, let's do it. And like you come into a room and everyone's like doing jumping jacks together and like <laughs> collaborating. Whereas where I was from, it was more of a, like a private thing. And I, I, I mean, I was in Switzerland and so... It, it was probably a little bit of a different environment, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's just enchanting. And Bill, uh, you can jump on the same uh, topic there if you want to. I don't know if you've spoken about it in previous episodes, but if you want to talk about your introduction to the Academy, uh, it could be... Um, a... Gosh, yeah. How did I end up there? Good question. Um, I applied for a bunch of drama schools, and it, 
my singing teacher, uh, Pippa Anderson, at the time was like, uh, she's like, Bill, I think that you need to explore other options. She's like, I think uh, what I was finding, and this is a statement that I will make, and I'm not saying that it is about everywhere, but what I was finding is that I was getting pigeonholed into the funny redhead sort of category, that sort of like character actress, um, working, funny northerner. I was, I was, I was a funny northerner. And like, that's not necessarily who I am. And I was getting shoehorned into that a lot. And I wasn't getting a fair opportunity. I actually dealt with some like pretty awful classism when I was auditioning. Like, I don't want to say the name of the school, but I auditioned somewhere and I was like, I felt very like disrespected because of where I was from. And like, I'm from a working class family. Like that's just, that's just the truth of it. And I'm mm-hmm. very proud of that. And I felt that I wasn't getting a fair shot because I was getting called back to places and then just, kind of getting disregarded. You were getting categorized and immediately. Getting categorized immediately and being told who I was. And I I personally believe that, like, I know who I am better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, like, you were yes, not given that, that opportunity is a part, Yeah, to that show. is part of me, but it's not all of me. Mm-hmm. And my uh, singing teacher was like, Bill, I really think that you need to look at America. I really think you need to think a little bit further afield. And I started looking at schools and I looked at a bunch of drama schools here. And um, this one just, like, spoke to me and I was like, fuck it. So I put in an application and did my audition and I did my audition for Jim Demonic and it just, I'm a big believer in like being in the right place at the right time and mm-hmm. it just was such a good audition and I was like, this just feels right. I've never been there. I don't know what I'm getting myself in for, but this just feels right. Mm-hmm. And thank God I did. Yeah. Shout out to Jim Demonic, by the way. Shout out to Jim Demonic. <laughs> Jay-Z. But it's... Yeah, it's about taking that little leap. Uh, yeah. You know, it's something that you're not sure how it's going to work out, but you kind of just trust, like we were saying before, trust that if you put yourself out there, it'll yeah. all work itself out in the I end. I think my poor father had a heart attack when he found <laughs> out, like... I think he was, like, just about to get ready to, like, let me go to London. And then he was like, you haven't a laugh, aren't you? No, we are. I'm not sending you to America. Now we lost both of his children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to America. To, uh, to, to America. America. It's not... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're not dead. They just live in America. <laughs> well, Which essentially is... Important clarification. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah, so that's how that happens. Yeah. And I rocked up here day one and was like, LOL, here we go. September 10th, mm-hmm. 2010, I think. I, I, I moved out here September 28th. It's so September funny. September like moving, how... buddies. Yeah, we... Mm-hmm. September 14th. September. September I think Ooh. I think it works out, because uh, for me, what happened is I finished undergraduate in May, and I took the summer, so it's right at the end of summer. It seems like that's a reasonable time. It's like, all right, I'm going to uproot my life and move, for me, across the country why, for why, other people. Why New York for you? I don't actually know uh, the answer. It was on a crazy whim, actually. Uh, I had just graduated from California State University, Long Beach, uh, with my bachelor's in biology, and then my brother called me. I don't know if you know. Ophelia Talks listeners, but uh, Kevin Ryder is actually a scientist. Yes, yes, Ooh. I am a scientist. Fun fact, a scientist. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I feel really yeah. silly. Yeah, someone yeah. Like, I do plays! <laughs> and then we're actually by someone. I do plays fun. too. Okay. He does <laughs> plays too. Yeah. Uh, but no, my brother just said, hey, I'm going to uh, leave this apartment with my current roommate and try to get another one. Do you want to move out to New York? And I said, let me think about it. Um, and uh, I think it, by the end of that day, I called him back and said, all right, let's do it. Um, and so yeah, got my stuff together and moved out here in September. Uh, I've been here for about four and a half years now, as of recording uh, this. Yeah, and then 
did the thing working as a server for a little bit. Uh, got some life Bubba experience Gump, under my yeah, Bubba Gump uh, Shrimp Company in Times yes. Square. Uh, oh my God. I know, right? Forrest and then Gump. I decided, all right, time to get my, my life and career back in order. <laughs> so then I just uh, recently finished getting my master's in forensic science from Pace University. Woo. Yeah, science. Um, and then now, since Ooh. I've now finished my master's, I have time to do shows again, which is, which is really nice. wonderful. Turns out Kevin is also incredibly talented, has an incredible voice. Shucks. Can dance. I didn't know that you could dance yes, so Yes, well. I saw that today I in He straight up like came to me, he was like so sheepish, he was like, Bill, I'm thinking about auditioning for the musical, like what do you think? I was like, yeah, come on in, darling. I'd love to. And like, he sang and he sings so beautifully. So we were like, of course we're going to call you. Of course we're calling you back. And we get to the dance call and I was like, oh, I feel for Kevin because he's obviously not going to have a great time in this dance call. And then just started busting a move. Killed it. Killed it. Killed it. Put it all on the dance floor. I was sweating bullets. I'm looking at Kevin. He's got his shiz together. He's got the whiz on his chin. We were, like watch, we were watching a number today and the stage manager texted me and she was like, I think Kevin knows this better than anybody else. Like, straight up. Very gifted person. I hate it when you meet gifted people who are like, I'm not pursuing this anymore. Like, go for it. I'm also a scientist. And I'm also a scientist. I am just this. (laughs) I have no other skills. My man Kevin saves my my ass day to day in these Lissa Strata rehearsals because I've I've missed quite a bit. And And he's like... showing up and he knows my parts on top of his parts and all the choreography steps and everything and he's always... Just so eager to. It's the science part of He's my brain. He's working both yeah. sides of his brain. Why All am I of them. moving forward and yelling into this? Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Both sides of the brain. Yeah. It was really yeah. cool to actually go back to California and see, for for Brittany and Eric's wedding. It was really cool to go back and see where it all began. Yeah, that was I great. Think Ophelia's been such a huge part of my life since leaving the academy. It was one of the first shows I did out of school, and it was like immediately I just felt like I was part of this family. And it was really amazing to go back and see where it all began. And I think mm-hmm. you always have such a skewed perception of where you're from. And, like, it, it forms so much of who you are. So you always see it a certain way. And then to for somebody else to see it, we keep talking about, like, this other. Because I think mm-hmm. I was able to see so much more of their home because I was other. And that was really, it was really special to, like, be a part of that and, like, be around all of your family. And, yeah, it was really... It was really cool. Your yeah, mom was, did think we were dating for yes, a second, Yes, my mom did she? think we were dating. And we did lean into it a little bit. A little bit. It was fun. <laughs> uh, but it was great for Billy, uh, who's been a big part of this company now, uh, to see where it all began and get to see uh, where this, the, the backyard where Ophelia started, where Ophelia was born, and get to meet uh, Stacy Macias, Sarah Macias' mother, and just the the, the oh, roots of this company and how it tied it is to that, that place. Um, I'm sure now the company makes a lot more sense. Totally. I mean, like, the from. company was born in Sarah's back garden. And um, what was so cool about it was that uh, Stacy, her mom, would always have all of these people over and the house was always full of energy and she'd have these big parties. And after the wedding, we all went back to Stacy's and, and it was, I, re- I remember going out on the balcony and she just went down into like the little courtyard area and she just sat there with a glass of wine and she was just listening to the sound. She was like, every now and then she'd laugh at things that were being said mm-hmm. and she was just enjoying hearing noise in the house again, I think. It was so cool. It was she, so special. She couldn't be happier than just making eggs for everyone in the morning. Oh, You give yeah. her a group of people to entertain and Make she eggs for 20 skipping. drunk people. Uh-huh. And she was like, I am on it. Let me make these eggs. Uh-huh. I'm actually really excited for her to come to Edinburgh because she's going to sort us out. Oh, yes. <laughs> How absolutely. are you feeling about going to Edinburgh, guys? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I'm so, so unbelievably excited. Well, for I've us, never left the country. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Uh, barely. I, I've gone to Aruba once or twice for like a brief like vacation, but for like sure. an extended period of time, no, mm-hmm. I've never left. I've hardly left New England, really. Mm-hmm. Do you have a passport? Yes, I have a passport. Oh, okay. 
Oh, I've been to done a the fringe before. Me? You've done the fringe. I've, I've done this the is fringe. Olivier. Uh, yes, this is Olivier speaking. I was in a production of Return to the Forbidden Planet, which was a oh. 60s rock and roll Shakespeare musical um, with a bunch of 14-year-olds, and we, we took it from Switzerland to, to the fringe. And killed it. And killed it. Yeah. We slayed it. It was, it was amazing. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was really really fun. It's a real experience. experience. Have, have any of you been? No, no. Never, never been. Never. I mean, it we we is wild. Our home, Billy and I's hometown is like what? How long a drive? It's, Why we, it's just about driving. It's, 20 minutes, it's forty-four minutes. <laughs> it's like 44, 45 minutes on the train. Forty-five, 45 minutes on the train. Yes. Quarters, so yeah. we're really close to Edinburgh, but I've actually never been because my community theater, community theater's big production would fall in right, August. The so time. we would always be like you know doing a show in, in Durham, but. I'm so excited. I've never been before. I went last year to kind of scope. Well, Lauren Lacroix, who's our producer, kind of called me and was like, we should go to the Fringe and check this out. And a couple of my friends had shows there. And uh, it was an insane experience. Like, we... And just the thought of taking 17 people there gives me so much anxiety. But we are just going to have such a, a blast. I think it's oh. going to be absolutely wild. And for those of you at home, yes, you heard correctly. She said 17 people. I mean, yeah, the 17. cast is 11 people. Then we have our two swings. And then we have, hang on, what's math? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, four production team members. Um, so it's going to be absolutely like housing all of those people. We're all going to be living together. We're all going to be drenched in the experience of each other. Yeah. It's going of my to well-being. be nice. We are roommates, Olivier. Loving it. Yeah. For yeah. some reason, I got stuck with Tom, the Welsh gentleman. We're not very And Jane gets Kaylin. I think that's... You I lucked think up. I got you the, I really did win. get the good end of the deal. They were like, who... Yeah. Well, you're biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough, Kev. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. She's Kev comes okay. to visit, though. You'll be on the couch, too. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> no, I'm going to visit, but I'll get uh, an Airbnb. You'll be passed out in the house. <laughs> you'll, you'll get a week to yourself. That's alright. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna take care of that external accommodation. Well, cheers, everyone. All right, cheers. cheers I want to emphasize: this is not the first time I've had to live with Tom Chandler for an extended <laughs> period of time. You're and really but it is the first time you've been bedfellows. I hope. Um, <laughs> wait, let me think. As far well, as there was one time where Tom fell asleep on his desk, but I'm not gonna talk about that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is the first time we've been bedfellows. Yeah. I'm really excited to get to know you uh, really intimately not. like yeah. that. And I think we'll have our first affiliate theatre baby. No, <laughs> I've already told Jim I intend to start a fight with a group of Scotsmen and then leave him with them. I just abandon him in We oh, have been taking bets as to who we think is going to go off the rails. Definitely Jim. Really? No, no, not me, not me. No, no, no. No, I've got money on somebody else. I've got money. I've got money placed very well. She's not saying who it is because it's Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be me. Oh, I think that just. I mean, living with people is just very different. Having just like done it all, I was like, this is really hard. It's really hard work, and just people are exhausted. Like living with people is hard. It is exhausting. But if it was any other cast, I think we would all have some sort of like, I think. We'd maybe be like more anxious about it, but I feel like we had we had a fir- our first read through of the potential Edinburgh cut of the script like a month. Well, it was January as soon as we got back mm-hmm. from Christmas, and it like even the electricity in that room was like so incredible. And I think that's why we're also like gun ho about like mm-hmm. going forward. Oh, it's good people. It's the good people, and it's interesting because the fringe shows are normally like one or two people, or they're never big casts. And when we did uh, like a, an Edinburgh Roadshow at the Fringe Society, they were saying like, oh gosh, like you've got a lot of people going, that's going to be really hard. But actually I think it's a massive bonus for us because the average audience at a Fringe show is seven. 
And so much of show capacity is based on your flyering skills. We've got a team of 17 people. If we all got three people to come, we're going to be sorted. But we've also got a team of 17 people who are so competitive that I feel like if we can be like, whoever gets the most gets X today, (laughs) we're going to be absolutely fine. And I also think between Virginia Aiken, your mum, and uh, Jay Neville, I think we've got like the whole tribe of the northeast of England coming to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, we're actually planning a big party in the northeast for all the people who donated because there was a lot of very, very generous people in the northeast. And we're going to take all the Americans for their first night out. And you guess it! Yeah. I, there was reluctance in my voice of saying of celebrating then because Newcastle is a very specific night out. It is a very specific about. night out. You've got to like go all in. The amount of times that I've ended up on the floor, pizza, pizza in Newcastle is upsetting. It's not like mango flavored acquire in Edinburgh gin. It's like trebles. It's quads and cokes. Quads, quads and, cokes. and cokes. I've never had a quad. I've definitely had a couple of quads in my time. I'm not so for those of us that don't know, what is a quad? A quad is a quadruple shot of vodka topped off with a spritz of coke. So, like, you know how people ask you for, like, a single or double? Yeah. It's a quad. quad. And you can probably get four quads for five I don't know that we can do that here. I don't know if people are allowed to do that here. It's definitely illegal in Newcastle. Here's the... They have a bouncer on the door of McDonald's on a Friday night in Newcastle. It's no joke. They should have those all over New York City past midnight, I think. I mean... (laughs) Maybe even before midnight. Newcastle is an experience... I'm scared. It is an experience. There's a chance we might lose some company members. I don't know if being with you would make me any safer. No, stay with me. Don't worry about it. Oh, I think think you'll get picked up by a nice Geordie lass, Olivia. I think you'll be all right, son. (laughs) Company! Where are you from? My sister's not in town. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Did you say nice Geordie lass? Isn't that an oxymoron? (laughs) You're an oxymoron! Stop it! We'll see who leaves Big Market on his own on the, on the Friday when we're <laughs> I'm just reading Billy's question. Oh, my question. Actually, let's get back to talking about the planes. Yeah. Talking about all getting yeah, totally. to Newcastle. Luke, um, how do you feel about playing Charles? Oh, um... <laughs> do you hear the pure anxiety in my voice? No, I'm... I'm really, really excited for oh, a number of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really actually looking forward to it. I love... I love playing characters... Well, that are based on, well, that are real people. I mean, Lewis Carroll is, was and is a real, well, not is a real person, was a real person. I love the extent of the research that you can have with someone that is real. Um, and then what I found so far, just in the pre sort of research that Billy and I have been doing for this next phase, is um, reading all the research, the sort of like moments of Charles' life that, you know, sort of hit me differently than other parts and I kind of feel those are the parts where you can sort of bring yourself to it so I'm really excited to sort of mirror who Charles was with myself I guess but it is it's very daunting to play a real person especially Mm -hmm. someone like Charles who is so complex Mm -hmm. um but it's exciting it's a it's It's the 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 two two two-sided sword of this is a famous person so there's a lot of information out there for you to glean there's also a lot of information for everyone else to kind of and we're telling the untold story. We're telling the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, that's absolutely. Known. And I think I think a lot of people will sort of understand Alice in Wonderland in a lot more, in a lot in a in a deeper sense than they already know the story yeah. because of your Alice. I think the way that we tell this sort of make the creation of Alice in Wonderland is 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 mm-hmm. how you should sort of preface reading Alice in Wonderland. I think it has such a deeper meaning 
than we all imagine. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's scary, but... Um, I guess a, a wider question to ask the group is, um, and this is interesting for me to hear as someone who's been so entrenched in it for so long, coming at it from a fresh perspective, how do you think it relates to everything that's going on right now? Mm. It's interesting because... I've always been interested in the grey area of, of sexuality and where we all exist on the spectrum. And it feels very relevant all of a sudden. I think that we were kind of coming up against it last year when we did the show because people are so afraid of the grey area and all of a sudden a dialogue has been opened. And I'm really interested to see how it's received in New York and then in Edinburgh with the show's uh, approach to sexuality and what that means. Like, what, Does anybody have any opinions on that? Or... I think the tricky thing is because of the content. I, you know, it's a relationship that is unrequited, and, and a number of things are against them. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's like an an element of Charles and Alice's relationship where they love unabashedly in sort of the realms and the boundaries that they are like given. Given, um, and there's no lines crossed. I feel when you really like analyze that relationship, um, and I kind of feel like we're headed into a world now where being able to love someone because of who that person is rather than the like mm-hmm. label on it is sort of is is very present so i like that aspect of it i think it's very positive but i think like had the story been told you know maybe like even 10 years ago it would be you know i don't think the world would have been five, I would think. even five the world wouldn't have been even ready last, for it, i, I mean even last year the, there's always going to be my biggest fear about the play is that one of the reasons why I was absolutely trashed on opening night is because I was so scared that people were going to get up and leave an intermission. The fact that people didn't and that people had really intelligent things to say or mm-hmm. were really moved by the play or affected in a very pointed way was relieving. But I had that every night of the run. We ran for a month mm-hmm. and every night I was like, everyone is going to get up and leave. I think I, I, I almost disagree with, you, with uh, Kevin and Luke a little bit. I think that this is a story that I still don't know if it's ready to be heard by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sort mm-hmm. of I'm with you, Billy, because I think that even uh, we're talking about a very different period of time. This is like yeah. a, this is a, a different world where like this is not exactly. I mean, it, it's all. I mean, it's always been like a taboo, but I mean, like, has it really? Like in a in like a total sense. I mean, we're the, do, we're dealing with a period of time where actually the attraction to that the nubile female form was socially accepted. Mm-hmm. I think that it helps, though, that this story is... The, I mean, it, for me, it reads, like, still very much Alice's point of view. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a lot of imagination in this story that it comes from both of them, but we mostly follow at Alice down the rabbit hole still. Mm-hmm. Charles interacts with the characters, but we do get to feel that sense of, like, naivety, and for the most part, she's got this umbrella of, like kooky, fun characters who can be scary at times, but still there's that sense of safety because they are so, like, they're they're in the form of, like, rabbits and yeah. creatures that are mm. comforting to children, you know what I mean? Well, I think it's really interesting to look at... Um, what's been really interesting about coming at it this time is that, for me, I've started to kind of piece together why I wrote the play. 
Mm-hmm. And actually, like, talking about the Tweedles, like, I've had to start to be like, I have fought so adamantly to have them in the play, and I never really knew why, and I think I figured out why, which is going to completely change those characters. Why? Do you want to talk about it now? Probably not on the podcast. Why? Uh, <laughs> sorry I asked. <laughs> but I do think that there's something really uh, interesting in the acknowledgement of when human beings become sexual. Mm-hmm. And uh, sexuality is such a complex umbrella and it exists in so many different colors mm. and i think i'm really excited to unpack that this time around because what i mean really truly what is the story about it's about a young person who has developed sexually and doesn't quite understand what all of those elements mean and a sexually repressed man who can't quite deal with the emotions that he's feeling and they come up against each other and from that is born one of the greatest stories that has ever been told yeah. by an, a human so it's such a massive topic to unpack and I'm really excited about getting into table work and hearing what everybody has to say because I do agree with you, I think it is taboo. It is absolutely taboo. And yes, it should be. Yeah, absolutely. The question is, is there a way for this man to come out unscathed? Because I think had he have acted, it would have been child abuse and had he not, he emotionally abused her without knowing. So I feel like either way you look at it, in this version that we are telling, I think that she is... I, I'm with you. I, I'm following mm-hmm. you, but... I. Another, now what's coming in my head is, I mean, just from what we've read from the articles that you've sent and from yeah. the book and, and from this play, it seemed, I, I don't know what would be abusive about, I think the more, more of the abuse came from him on himself. Agreed. You know, yeah, I would agree with that. Than it did onto her because, I mean, I, 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 except for the, there are parts in the, in the play where she encounters his dark side, but those are through the characters. So it's like, yeah, it's still strange. Uh, it, it's a little like uh, surreal to talk about, I guess. Like, I don't know where to begin. It's, there's so much to talk about. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, I mean, we've done it. It's, it's like it's interesting to be coming up now in a time when when our country is faced with a dilemma of needing to have better ways to describe and talk about sexuality. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need new. We need a new set of vocabulary to mm. speak about these situations. That doesn't entirely mirror in the script, but it's just an interesting tie into where we are now yeah. as a society that we're realizing we need new, better ways to we talk don't about have these the kinds of things. Vocabulary to communicate mm. exactly, and that's. Yeah, I guess it's, it's such a massive thing that we have to know. And something that I definitely learned from last time is that I think that um, for me, I re- had a very like strong realisation last time I did it that for me to get what I need to get out of the actors, I, I had to show a little bit of myself in a way that I really was not comfortable with. And it, I had to be vulnerable in a way I wasn't ready to be. And this time I feel a little bit more prepared coming at that. Uh, it is like a very, it's a very vulnerable room and I don't quite know why, but there's just something about this story that really touches the nerve of people. Um, yeah, it's... I feel like a lot of that is that the show and this, I mean, like, this story doesn't touch a lot on, like, the sexual nature of their relationship and it's more of the emotional impact that she had on him and, and he, her. And I think that hurts a lot of people because they don't get a straight answer yes. out yeah. of yeah, yeah, what yeah. this thing is. And and yeah. the show does not explicitly... No, there's nothing explicit yeah, in the show. It, it doesn't all. explicitly talk about their, like, romantic relationship other than, like, the kisses. But who doesn't kiss who? Like, I've, I mean, I, I kiss my father and my mother. It doesn't mean anything. It's like... Mm-hmm. A, or it, mean, it means something, but not like that. Like, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I, it's so interesting that, like, people for me would walk... Uh, what I found from the feedback from the last time around, people would walk away and they were like, oh, I wanted them to... I don't... No spoilers. But they were like, I wanted them to be together so much. And I know that's so wrong. But I think that's yeah. really... That, yeah. I think that really sometimes comes from Charles. I think he was so... Um, 
he was such an academic that he really had to like intellectualize everything in in his, in his head. So these boundaries that were set up against them, and like he knew he he knew the lines that he was never to cross, and uh, because he kind of like fenced himself in, his only way of sort of releasing any kind of emotion that he was feeling towards her was through this story. And I think that's why I love your Alice is because he at the point that we see Alice in this play, she's really on the cusp of womanhood. And to a point where he is, like, he at this time would be allowed to ask her father for her hand in marriage, and that's coming into question. And there's so much, like, they're on the edge of so much at, in the play that you've written that I feel like that's, it's like what Jim said, you're, you're not leaving with an answer, you're leaving with, like, the what-ifs and the, mm-hmm. and the curiosity. And, and we think, all know how it ends. Like, yeah. we all know that that is not how the story turns out but yeah. it's it says so much about like the human condition that we just want it and like that was a big thing from like day one of writing and a lot have cha- has changed about the play in that time but from day one i was always like if they existed in another time if they existed and they were different ages it would have been a love for the ages yeah but in this scenario it was not allowed to work out but imagine if they lived today we would have never gotten the amazing story mm-hmm that everybody knows, like the back of their hand. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so tragic to think that it came out of something that may be wrong, depending on how you mm-hmm. look at it. Maybe wrong was certainly painful. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that, that quote that's at the beginning of the script. Yes, he had impure thoughts. What matters is what he did with them. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that sums up the play completely. Mm-hmm. Because from what was potentially impure was born talking chess pieces and tortoises and the Mad Hatter and all of these beloved characters. And that was so interesting to me. Like, we all... It exists in the social conscious. Alice is everywhere. You can go down any street and you will see something related to Alice. It's crazy. And once you start to open yourself to it, you see it everywhere. And it's so interesting that um, it is a part of our life, but nobody knows the real story. And I think that is because the truth is... usually the hardest thing to to look at and accept and hear and accepting like human nature can exist on the gray area is really really tricky yeah i think let's let's go around let's do some like last comments that you may have um if someone wants to like throw something out there i don't know necessarily tom's been on grinder (laughs) this whole time uh yeah come back to me (laughs) come back to tom i think well personally i'm always interested in sort of challenging, provocative material anyway. And so, I mean, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about finding relatable uh, relatable terms when you're trying to talk to someone about something they might find controversial or like, and, and trying to have a conversation that you know they will understand you. And it, and it had to do with changing your, your method of, stero- of storytelling. Because I have some friends who like impose their personality on people and be like, this person will understand me because I will be unapologetically me. And I'm like, yes, but you'll bulldoze into people and obviously they'll close off. It's so. so interesting how even people that speak the same language can have so much trouble communicating, exactly. like yeah. communicating exactly. with each other. Because your relationship to words differ, differs according to who you're talking to, mm-hmm. to how you feel, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I find myself constantly having to like define what I mean to my friends and they're like, yeah, I know what you mean. I'm like, yeah, but I, I want to make sure. And like, that's what's so interesting about this kind of material and and that's why the sort of i understand the the nerves when you get a new audience each night is like are they gonna are they gonna make that step to understand what we're trying Mm -hmm. like the questions we are trying to pose there are Mm -hmm. no answers but like you know you just put this this story and don't explain anything and see how people sort of like go through the whole process of like how do i feel about this and how will how will people react to how i feel about this and then like 
et cetera, et cetera. Just I think that's so much of a part of the fun is yeah. giving these people the premises to take themselves on a journey, too. Of course. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And you discover your own true colors without necessarily having to, to reveal them to people, just having experienced that. You know, you go away and you've, you've lived something that you haven't been exposed to and your questions come up. And I think that's what's beautiful about theater. I don't like... I won't say I won't like something anyway, but... <laughs> I love it when you when you leave something with more questions than you have answers, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, you, and you have felt a range of emotions that took you all over the place inside yourself, and you discover something about who made these, this play, the, the room you're in, a world you didn't know, and about yourself. And I think that was an important lesson for me as well, knowing that, um, learning the lesson that actually some people go to the theatre to have fun, yeah. and like, not everybody wants to be taught a lesson, and there is absolute validity in that, and you just, you've got to let water off a duck's back, you've got to mm-hmm. let it ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's Jane again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've always, since I was little, been, I've loved just the whimsy of Alice. And as a child, that's what you connect to most, is just, like, the sort of absurdity and joy of all of these individual characters. And I think that's the benefit of being a swing, also, is that you do get to know each of these characters individually. Um, one is not more important than the other. They are all important because you may have to, you know, you never know. Um, and, and, and I think that, that I would not have wanted to start being a part of this show at any other time in my life. Um, as you get older, things become, reality sets in and, and adulthood is real and things aren't as whimsical and, and... And having this story is is very important in, in a growing person's life. Um, so as much as I I will maintain my love and and of these joyful and wonderful characters in my childhood, I'm happy now that that I will grow with it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's funny. Bouncing off of that about how I mean, Alice in Wonderland was one of my favorite sort of stories and cartoons when I was a kid my, my grandfather would quote it to me all the time and I never knew what it was from until I read the actual uh, the actual books and then um, disregarding the um, live action movies because whatever but um, I always find like as I grow up finding sort of like the gritty sides of things that people don't talk about and that children mm-hmm. don't, are specifically cut off from because you want them to live in this sort of magical world and I found actually great charm in the fact that this story was born uh, because it gave me an explanation as to the creation of that wonderful story and, and it's and it's fantastic to me that it didn't just come from someone being bored and making something up. It came from it a came grounded, from a real place. Organic, it came from problematic soul. place. Yeah, it came, exactly. It came from deep in his soul and, and, it, and I mm. think it adds beautifully to the charm of the story for me personally. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Great. Yeah, I feel... Like the the answer to a lot of the questions that we have lies in the question. Like, I think that the fact that no. can we understand the human condition? Right? No, we can't. There's a layer within a layer within a layer. I think it's just amazing that everything he truly felt still exists in that story, and no one will ever be able to figure it out. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a mystery. It's a mystery, and I think like we will never know what happened in those four days. And I'm excited. That's but that I think that's why I'm excited to jump into these shoes a little bit because there's kind of like there's a different analytical way of reading Alice in Wonderland once you've read his diaries and you've read a lot of his 
sort of like his his letters you know that you can kind of start to piece together like small parts that are like hints at maybe how he felt but I, I just love the idea that no one will ever truly know what he really meant and I and playing with that and bringing back that sense mm. of childhood play and innocence is what I think binds is at the core of this sort of ensemble and company mm. and that's why we're also excited to sort of share it because we're so protective of it and protective of something and I feel like that's what Charles and is doing he's protecting and preserving something that is that could be misconstrued and that could also be like wonderful which is mm -hmm. you know what Alice in Wonderland ended up being it was a, a much loved child uh, book so yeah I feel like you know that's sort of why it's so exciting and why we're all sort of raring to go um, with this challenge uh, I'm I don't know what much I don't I, I don't know what to say other than I'm, I'm really excited to get in, to get even more involved in this process. What really excites me is that I get to spend the next couple of months working with Luke and Olivier and Jane and that's all. And, <laughs> and, and, and being surrounded by a lot of people who, who I've known for a long time, but also people who I've just met mm -hmm. yeah. that are Im like immediately like welcomed me so and wonderful. us into their circle and into their world. And oh, I'm seeing the bromances form already and I'm dreading it. <laughs> This, uh, this is, I can already tell is going to be like a very like rewarding experience, like both personally and professionally. And, um, I'm so excited to be a part of it. Yeah. Tom? Uh, yeah, just going back to the, um, the, the, the quote that you put in about the differences between thoughts and actions and the fact that we, we define people based on their actions, not their thoughts. Uh, and Alice was, uh, Alice in Wonderland is a beautiful piece of art that we widely accept and cherish. However, it was born of a place that is widely accepted as uh, foul, as a foul and impure mindset. Um, and I was talking to Olivier the other day about how the, in, in politics, for example, people can do good things and create good things, even not necessarily from a, from a good place or for a good reason in their mind, but if they still did it and it, and it helped people, does it necessarily matter uh, the reasons that they did it for. Mm -hmm. um, so you I think spoke it, about that. Yeah, <laughs> you remember that? Yes, probably. Um, I've never mentioned one like that. <laughs> so I think it raises an interesting question as to um, should should Alice in Wonderland exist? If you could go back and separate these people, would you? Mm -hmm. Tom would. That's what he's trying to say. He wishes that this was never made and he wasn't a part and I, Yeah, I think so much of what is such a wonderful point. And, and I think that what's so cool about this particular group of people and adding this into the, the mix is that it's really important that we have good people who are open and willing to work, but also are incredibly intelligent and can voice their opinions because we as a collective conscious have to come to a decision as to what we think he feels. And all of those characters in the play exist on many different spectrums of, of whether they think he's right or whether they think he's wrong. Mm. And everyone has to have a very full reason behind the things that they do in the play. Otherwise, it doesn't work. That is their doorbell. Probably our food. Thank you for... Zach, edit out the doorbell. Edit out the doorbell. Can I give it a pause? Doorbell song. Uh, yeah, so I'm very excited to see what comes of this new group and new energies and... It's going to be really special. I have very good feelings about it. Uh, we are playing at BAM. I'm going to throw out some dates for you. We're going to be playing at BAM, which is the Brooklyn Academy of Music, uh, from the 23rd to the 27th of May. Tickets will go on sale mid-March time. And then we will be playing the Emerald Theatre from the 3rd of August till the 25th every day. 
uh, at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is very exciting. I'm going to go and eat this panini, uh, and it's going to be delicious. <laughs> I can't wait. All uh, right. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and walk us out, so I know I'm excited. I hope everyone out there is excited as well. Thank you, everyone, for being here for the interview today. Woo-hoo. And if you're bored in the meanwhile, we will be having our production of Liz Estrada Jones coming up Woo-hoo. very soon here. Yeah. We'll be running March 16th through April 8th. If you want to check out uh, myself, Kevin, and Olivier in that one, uh, also directed by Miss Billy Aiken Tires. So from all of us here, thank you so much for listening, and this has been Ophelia Talks.